all that. I'm glad we serve a God that's real, aren't you? In spite of everything, you know, it's, it's hectic. Uh, anytime we do puppets, it gets a little more hectic, at least for me. We try to get everything ready and all that. Uh, but I'll tell you what, I'm glad we've got the word, aren't you? I'm glad in the midst of everything that's changing, like that song says, in the midst of everything going one way or another, I am glad we have the word of God that does not change. And I, I am thankful for that. Uh, uh, but before we start in Matthew 23, uh, you know, in, unless you uh, were under kind of a rock yesterday or uh, really uh, Friday, uh, hearing the over the Supreme Court decision that overturned uh, Roe versus Wade. And, you know, I, I'm sure you've seen and heard a lot of things about it uh, one way or another. But when I was thinking about this the last couple days, uh, I thought, you know, the church really has an opportunity right now. And, you know, I, uh, I think we can look at it a lot of different ways, but I think one of the big things is more babies are going to be born. And when you think about that, that means more will grow up and more will, uh, more will get to have the opportunity to have the church love on them and share the gospel with them and to teach them as they grow older and children. And we have an opportunity to live a life of faith before them. And see, these are ones that the world wanted to get rid of. Uh, and, uh, but now we have a chance to show the love of Christ to more uh, precious souls. But that also means there's going to be more mothers in crisis. Uh, you know, so more mothers that need help. So as we celebrate lives being saved, I think we also need to remember we're going to have more work to do in the years to come. We will. It's a good thing. Uh, it's a good thing that we have. Uh, but many are angry right now. And like I said, it's, it's clear to see. If you look, a lot of anger is directed at us, at Christians. You see that as well. Uh, but here's the thing. Now's not the time to get into an argument. Now's not the time on social media to start uh, posting all sorts of things. And you'll hear me from time to time uh, say things like this. Now is the time to, number one, thank God for what he's allowed to happen. But also, we need to ask God for direction. Right. We need to ask him for direction and wisdom and grace uh, so that we can show even more people the love of Christ. Because here's the thing. Someone that's in crisis, they need grace and mercy and love. They need that first and then they need the truth. If you give them the truth without grace, mercy and love, it's not going to help. And they're not going to want to listen to us. But aren't you glad that we've got this opportunity? So it's one thing uh, we need to thank God, but also we need to pray about this and say, God, uh, what is for us to come in this? What, where can we help? Where, Lord, where can we be a light uh, in this lost world? So Matthew 23, I'm going to read the first three verses and then I'm going to skip down to verse 23. So Matthew 23, 23 is going to be the main verse, but it says this. Matthew 23, verse 1, Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore, whatsoever they bid you to observe, that observe and do, but do not ye after their works, for they say and they do not. Again, we're going to skip down to verse 23. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye pay tithe of mint and ants and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done and not to leave the other 
undone. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for its truth. And Lord, I thank you for richly blessing us this morning in so many ways. And Lord, I pray that you'd use me today to preach. Open up our ears and our hearts to your word. And Lord, help us to draw closer to you. Lord, if there's any lost, I pray they'd come to you today. Any that are questioning that they'd find answers. And Lord, draw us to you. In Jesus' name we pray. And amen. Jesus spends this entire chapter rebuking the scribes and Pharisees. And he gives seven woes that he says are straight to them. And then one woe in verse 16, he says to the blind guides, which are probably them as well. Uh, So here's the thing. The scribes and Pharisees, by this point, this is late in Jesus's earthly ministry. Uh, At this point, they really weren't interested in learning anything from him. They hated Jesus. They wanted him dead. uh, And they were usually trying to... To listen to him only to catch him in his words. That's what they were trying to do, to trap him so that they, that, that way they would have something that, that they could use to, to bring him to death. And, and they hated him. They wanted him dead at this point. Uh, but Jesus's purpose is he is trying to give the truth yet one more time to anyone who will listen. But I think his main audience wasn't the scribes and Pharisees here. I think he was trying to warn people to not follow them. And so we see in verses two and three, he starts by saying that they sit in Moses' seat. Uh, And this, if you go back to Nehemiah chapter eight, they had rebuilt uh, and uh, there's Ezra in chapter eight. And they are uh, taking God's word to the people that have been in captivity and have now returned to Jerusalem uh, that they don't, most of them no longer know Hebrew anymore. They've learned other languages in captivity. And so now the men of God are explaining, they're saying what God's word is, they're explaining Explaining it to them uh, so that way that they can uh, that way they can learn and to live godly and that that's the same thing that Jesus is saying that it is supposed to continue you know there are supposed to be men uh, and I like the end of Maya chapter 8 if you look at it uh, they had a pulpit of wood uh, they stood before the people they spoke plainly uh, and they said what thus saith the word of God and what Jesus is saying is is when that happens when the truth is preached and taught you need to observe that you need to follow that and that's what he's saying when that happens you need to do it but the problem is the scribes over the years had mixed together truth with error they had come together and they said you know what Uh, the Lord says this so we're going to build a whole bunch of rules around it to make sure that that doesn't happen but what they did is they went over and above you know you think about there's so many different things uh, you know uh, not doing any labor on the Sabbath day they came up with hundreds of rules of what work meant and that way you weren't working during the Sabbath that's why they had to they had to do their uh, these days Jews have to do their stove a certain way the night before uh, they can't do certain things they can't carry things and in that day a scribe couldn't carry his pen on the Sabbath that would be work it, it just got ridiculous and the problem is is it is it uh, it clouds what God really wanted them to do he wanted them to have a day of rest and instead they were afraid that they were going to break all these rules that were made He said, when it gets to this part, that's where I don't want you to do it. And moreover, he calls them hypocrites. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do, but do not ye after their works, for they say and do not not. So here's what we see. Uh, They were living this hypocritical lifestyle. They were saying one thing and not really doing it. But here's what do we do today? 
in the church today, uh, we have this mandate. Uh, in Acts chapter 17, you have the Berean church, and they had Paul and Silas come visit them and taught them the word of God. Verse 11 says, they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. And here's the thing. What amazes me, they had Paul and Silas, the apostle Paul that writes a quarter of the New Testament had come to Berea uh, and come to the church and he was literally teaching them themselves. And that night they were getting into the word themselves and making sure what Paul taught them matched what the word of God said. And Paul liked that. He said, that is good. They were listening with all readiness of mind and they were searching the scriptures daily, whether these things be so. If Paul said that that was a good thing, I'm telling you, we need to do this today as well. Uh, it doesn't matter what is being taught and preached. You need, uh, that's why I say it's good to take down notes or we record services and post them later. Uh, you know, you go back, listen to it, and make sure what is being said is the truth. Yeah. Because here's the thing. Men can error. Yeah. But I'm telling you what, we need to be rooted in God's word. I believe so much confusion and pain and everything else could have been, uh, could have been solved and eliminated if churches would do that and Christians would do that. Get into the word. So he has woe after woe after woe. And again, I didn't read all these, uh, but throughout the chapter, you just see them over and over again uh, of what they wouldn't do uh, and the problems, you know, they were adding to the law. I already mentioned the Sabbath day. Uh, they were dressing a certain way to be seen of men. That's verse five. Uh, you know, in verse seven, they wanted to be called a certain title and we could do that as well too. We could say, I want you to call me this title and not just my name. And it just went on and on and on uh, all these different problems uh, uh, that were going on. But I think verse 23 gets to the heart of the whole thing. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye pay tithe of mint and ants and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done and not to leave the other undone. He says hypocrites to them seven times in this chapter. And one more time right here. And he gives them another example of what they're paying tithes to. The herbs in their garden. And you think of how crazy this is. They're going to cook something and they'll go out into their garden. And they'll break off a few stems or leaves or different things like that. And they're literally going to count uh, nine of them out. And when they get to the tenth one, they're going to throw it away. And they're saying, I'm paying tithes to this. I'm paying tithes to the Lord. Uh, I'm making sure uh, that I give him a tenth of everything all the way down to the herbs in the garden. And the problem was the law said in Deuteronomy that you were to tithe the corn, the wine, the oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks. He never said go out into your garden and pull out a tenth one of everything like that. And here's the problem. They would have thought they were super righteous, super pious. Oh, I'm close to God because I tied these things. But think about how crazy would it be if you had to count out the 10th thing in everything you did, right? You know, I think about me, uh, the examples that come to my mind are food, right? Or snacks. You open up a bag of M&Ms, you're going to take nine out and then the 10th one you got to throw away. Can you think of how ridiculous that is uh, as you're doing that? Uh, or even say you're cooking spaghetti uh, that night. You're going to take out the 10th noodle, right? Every time you go through. How crazy is this? This is literally what they were doing to show that they were closer to God. And Jesus called them hypocrites. Right? He said, you are hypocrites. You're saying that you're tithing all these things. And because he called him a hypocrite, that much meant they weren't tithing the things that they should have. Yeah. 
He said, that's great, you're going out into the garden, but what about the things I've told you to tithe? But I think the big part of this verse is the second half. He's summing up everything that they're they're doing. And he's saying, you uh, scribes and Pharisees, again, remember this whole chapter, woe after woe after woe of what they're doing wrong. But he says, you have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. He's saying you invented your own law. You've invented your own rules and you've missed the most important part. That's what it says when it means the weightier matters. He's saying the problem isn't tithing. It's not that you tithe things. That's not the problem. The problem is you're focusing on tithing those things in your garden more uh, than the, the weightier matters, more than the important things. And I believe that's a trap that any of us could fall into. You're putting the wrong things in priority. You know what I've heard over the years? And, and seen in my Christian life, one of the rules that people, that churches have created that becomes a, uh, a more important thing is the way that you dress. I, I, remember a, I remember one time distinctly, a young man came in here, sat near the back. Now, this has been many, many years ago. Sat in the back. He was wearing a baseball hat. And I remember one of the older men of the church came over to him. And said something, I'm sure it wasn't the great, the nicest way of saying it, but basically get that hat off, you can't wear that in here. And he took the hat off, but I remember I sat, I've always sat kind of up front, and I could, I saw him several times throughout the service. His arms were crossed, he didn't have a smile on his face, and he wasn't listening to anything after that. Now what have we accomplished? Right. Oh, he didn't wear a hat in the building, well great! But he didn't listen to anything. And then after that, he pro- I never saw him again. And I'm sure if you asked him later, he'd tell you the same story. Because I guarantee that really hit him. Now, is that an excuse? No. But what have we done? Right. We've created, we've put a rule in place that is missing the weight of your matter. Right? If a sinner comes into this church and doesn't look, talk, act, and dress like a Christian, that's fine. Why? Because they're not a Christian. They're a sinner. You know what they need? They need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let them wear the hat. It's fine. They'll figure it out later. It's okay. But here's the thing. Where I've seen... You know, with different types of, I, I've seen even this. And I, again, I'm telling on, on the church, we're not perfect in everything. I've seen places where women have to wear a dress. And if you don't, they're going to talk about you. And it's like, well, listen, there's no, nowhere in the Bible says if you wear a dress, then you can gossip. Right? right? Well, anyway. But he's saying the entire law of Moses is summed up in three words. This is amazing right here. He is saying this, judgment, mercy, and faith. That's the whole thing right there. And I was astounded when I really got to looking at that and thinking about it. These are the most important parts. So we're going to break it down. We're going to look at judgment first. The central part of the law of Moses, the weightiest part that uh, one of the things he says right off the bat is judgment. And here's the thing. One of the things the law made clear is that everybody will be judged. Everyone is going to stand before God. And if they in the Old Testament, if they obeyed, they'd be rewarded. If they followed what God's law said, they would be rewarded for that. And if they disobeyed, they would be punished. Leviticus 18, 4. Ye shall do my judgments and keep mine ordinances 
princes to walk therein. I am the Lord your God. Ye shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man do, he shall live in them. I am the Lord. Everyone's going to stand before Jesus Christ one day. Everybody in judgment. And he is not, he's not going to ask the scribes and the Pharisees when they stand before him, if they tithe every herb in their garden, he's not going to ask them. He's going to ask them if they're wanting to get to heaven on their own merits, he's going to ask, did you perfectly and completely follow everything in my word from the day you were born till the day you die? Perfectly. Every thought every word out of your mouth, every action. Did you do the things you're supposed to do and not do the things you weren't supposed to do? Did you do that perfectly? The answer is no. No. There's no way. And that's what, it's, that's what the law was designed to do, to show them there's no way they could live a holy life themselves. You know what I hear a lot today? I hear people say, but Mike, I've never killed anybody. And I'm a pretty good person. And then they'll, and they'll throw in a couple things that they've done in their life. You know, like I've helped this person, or, I, or I've done that, or I was good to my mom, or something like that. No, those things are what you're expected to do. Did you live perfectly? Were you a perfect person in everything? You know, the Bible says it's impossible, right? The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says that there are none righteous, no, not one. And then Hebrews 9, 27, as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. So if all of us are going to face judgment after we die, you know, we need to figure out something. Who's the judge? Who are we going to stand before, right? Well, I already said it. It's Jesus Christ. He's going to judge all. And the great thing is he's a righteous judge. You can get in front of judges around here that aren't. You can get in front of judges that can be bought, that can be swayed, that have a bias or anything else. Jesus is not like that. But what's his standard of judgment? You want to know what it is? It's this right here. He's going to use this word to judge you by, not anything else, not what I say if I come up with something different, uh, not what you believe, uh, not what a New York Times bestselling author puts out. He is going to use his word as his standard to judge. And that's it. And again, I said the Bible demands perfection and we can't deliver perfection. I, I hope you're with me to this point. It is so easy to sin against God. I don't, I don't think sometimes we miss it. Even, even in, uh, there's no way we can speak perfectly, right? There's no way we can think perfectly. There's no way we can do everything. To know to do good and to do with it not is a sin. There's no way that we, so if you just accept that and realize, and then realize that the wages of sin is death, which that means hell for eternity, that when uh, we have no hope. But remember, there are three words. And this is just the first one. But here as Christians, we got to be careful that we don't just give judgment and then stop right there. Right? Because guess what? God never gave judgment and talked about judgment and stopped. He went further. What's the next word? Judgment. Then next is mercy. And this is why I said now's the time you probably have to step away from social media and not type things out and not say certain things. Why? Because it's very easy to type something that's judgmental and not have mercy along with it, right? Because they go together in the eyes of God. He puts things together. But here's the flip side. There are churches today that want to be inclusive and want to allow everything. And what are they? 
No judgment churches, right? They've taken away all judgment altogether. There's nothing wrong. You decide how you want to live. God's fine with all of it. That's wrong. But if you take away judgment, you have no need for mercy, right? You have to have them together. You have to have both of them. Judgment comes first. And then once you realize that hell uh, is the is the place where you go, if you have unforgiven sin, then you realize that you need mercy. And the greatest thing is that the God uh, that he is not okay with your lifestyle. But I'll tell you what, he will let you change your lifestyle. That's the greatest part. Uh, And it goes back to verse First Timothy 1.15, this is a faithful saying worthy of all ex- acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And here's the greatest thing. Uh, if you want to remove judgment, you can't just say it's gone. You can come to Jesus Christ and realize that you've sinned against God. You've not lived a perfect life. You've not held up to the standard of God. And the, the greatest thing is, is Jesus did. He lived the perfect life from the beginning to the end. All temptation, he used the word of God and he resisted all of it. And if you want a relationship with Jesus Christ, you can find it today. You can call heaven your home. You just need to come to Jesus. Once you realize that you're a sinner and you'll be accounted for your sin, then you can find mercy. You know what I used to believe? I'll be honest with you. I used to believe that there was a God of the Old Testament and there was a God of the New Testament and they were different. You know what I used to believe? Maybe you maybe you're thinking, Mike, you sound crazy, but listen to this. I thought the God of the Old Testament was always angry, right? Always full of wrath, always judgment and everything else. And then uh, in the New Testament, he turned into a merciful, long suffering and forgiving God. Have you ever thought that? Uh, Maybe as you're going through reading the Bible and you're thinking, man, I'm reading all sorts of judgments and everything else in the Old Testament. But realize I was wrong. In Exodus, Moses goes up to Mount Sinai for 40 days and he receives the law that Jesus is talking about. Remember what happens? He's up there 40 days. The people start to get impatient. They don't think Moses is coming back. And what do they do? They make that golden calf. We've talked about it recently. And they start offering burnt offerings to it. They dance around it. uh, And they say, this is the God that brought us out of Egypt. How ridiculous were they doing that? Worshiping that false God. And God was furious. He was angry. He told Moses, he said, I'm going to eliminate all of them and start over with you again. Moses intercedes for the people. He breaks those two tables of stone. Uh, The golden calf is destroyed and God calls Moses back up to the same mountain. He gets two more tables of stone and God says this in Exodus 34, 6. See, remember the old Mike thought that the Old Testament God was always angry. Here's the Old Testament God speaking. Exodus 34, 6. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of their fathers upon the children and upon their children's children under the third and to the fourth generation. We know that God of the New Testament is merciful and long-suffering and gracious and forgiving, but the Lord said in the Old Testament to Moses the exact same thing. 
Because he didn't destroy the children of Israel. He didn't start over with them again, even though they turned so fast to worshiping that idol. And you know what else? He knew how many times they would fail him. He knew how many times they would turn to false worship. He knew how many times they would do this. And yet still, in spite of all that, he forgave them. Uh, He still called them his people. He still has promises to them. God could have eliminated them and started over, but he showed them mercy. Doesn't that sound familiar? Oh, man. I got saved at nine years old. And then uh, uh, later on this year, it'll be 30 years since I got saved. And you think about God knew and he knows every time where I would fail him from the point of when I asked him to forgive me of my sins until he takes me on to glory. He knows how many times I'll fail him, yet he decided to forgive me anyway. Right? See, if you come to Jesus Christ near death, he's only he's forgiven you from all that past, but there's not as much in the future to forgive you for. With me, uh, there were past sins, but there's a whole lot more future. I've lived a whole lot longer past then. He's had to forgive me over and over again. He's still merciful. He still loves me. And in spite of all that I've done wrong, he still saved my soul. That's mercy. That's grace. But if you reject his mercy... He says he will by no means clear the guilty. You hear that? He said, I'm merciful. I'm patient. I'll forgive sins and iniquities and everything else if you come to me. But if not, I will not clear the guilty. I will not ignore sins. I will not ignore transgressions that are unforgiven. He said that in the Old Testament. The same thing is true in the New Testament. He won't. If you have unforgiven sin, if you've never come to Jesus Christ and asked him to forgive you of your sins, he will not clear the guilty. You will go to hell. So really, the judgment depends on one thing, whether you have turned to Jesus Christ for mercy or not. That's it. That's it. All right. So we got three words. Remember, we started with judgment. You got to have judgment. Because if you don't, you don't know you need mercy. And once you realize that judgment is coming and you can't escape judgment, then you know you need mercy. But then the question is, how do we obtain mercy from God to escape the judgment of sin and hell? The last three, the third weightier matter of the law is faith. So we got judgment, mercy, faith. And we got an Old Testament example. Hebrews eleven seventeen by faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son of whom it was said that an Isaac shall thy seed be called. Listen to this accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from whence also he received him in a figure. We go back to the Old Testament. Abraham was told to offer his son Isaac as a burnt offering. Remember that story? They're going up on the mount. Uh, uh, There he's got the wood, the fire, the knife. He's got everything. Isaac asks his dad. He says, hey, uh, I see we've got all these things, but where's the sacrifice? And he says, God will provide himself a sacrifice. And before they split off with the servant, he said, the lad and I are going yonder to worship and we'll come right back. We're coming back together. And then the Hebrews tells us something. Abraham was fully ready to slay his son. And you're thinking, this is crazy. He's got the knife up and it takes the angel saying his name several times to get him to put it down and to stop what he was 
was doing. He was fully ready to kill Isaac on the, as a sacrifice uh, on the altar on the mountain that day. And he knew because God had promised him that Isaac would be the one to carry on his seed. Right? Isaac was the one uh, that not Ishmael, not anyone else, but Isaac was the one, the only begotten. That's what it says in Hebrews. He's the one that's going to continue and that many nations would come out of it and, and great multitudes of people, uh, more than the, you could number, are going to come out of his seed. So he knew that. He said he was accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. He said, if I offer him as a sacrifice, God's bringing him back to life. He has to. To fulfill his promise. That took faith. Right? Abraham had faith. That God would do what he said. You know I had a professor at that story. He brought out the story of Abraham. uh, Going to slay Isaac. And he said that that. uh, That was cruel for God to make him do that. uh, And that God should have never asked him to do those things. And and, you know it's been a long time ago. uh, uh, Since I had that class. And I know I was angry. But I didn't really have a great response for him. But I'm thinking you know what. I wish I could go back and say this to that professor. You know what was cruel. Not Abraham getting ready to slay his son. Because Isaac had sin in his life. You know what was really cruel? Is God the Father sending his only begotten son that was sinless to die for our sins so that we could be saved. Yeah. Right? So with the professor saying, I couldn't believe God would ask Abraham to do that to Isaac. I can't believe that God would send his son, that he loves us that much, that he would die for us. Yeah. Hmm. I wish I could tell the professor that, but it's too late. Anyway, maybe he'll listen. I don't know. But here's the thing. We see that faith of Abraham. He trusted God's promises. He trusted him. You've given me Isaac. I waited so long for him that you will raise him up. And we know that he didn't die, uh, but there was a ram caught in the thicket. uh, That was the substitute there. And that uh, uh, was pointing towards Jesus Christ down in the future. But Abraham didn't know Jesus' name at that point, but he believed God as his word. Galatians 3.6 tells us this about Abraham. Even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. You know what that meant? Abraham wasn't a righteous man. He didn't live a perfect life. But that faith that he put in God to raise the dead, right? God accounted that. Put that righteousness of God onto Abraham's account. Made him righteous when he wasn't righteous. You know the formula's the same today. You and I can't become righteous. But the righteousness of Jesus Christ, when you come to him and ask him to forgive, not only does he forgive you of your sins, he takes that righteousness and puts it on your and I account as if we were righteous, even though we're not righteous. That's amazing, isn't it? That's what happens. How do you do it today? You're calling on Jesus today. Romans 10, 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. If you don't know Jesus today, again, I've said it before, the Bible says you're a sinner. The wages of sin is death. And if you'll admit that and you'll just trust in him uh, that he died and rose from the grave as the Bible says he did for the sins of the world, you can ask him to forgive you of your sins. Put your trust in him. And here's the faith part. You're saying, Mike, how's, where's the faith there? We weren't there to see Jesus die. Right. We weren't there to see him raised from the dead. You are putting your trust in a God that you cannot see. 
to give you an eternal promise of heaven of a place you can't see yet. Right? To forgive you of sins you can't see either. To give you a new heart that you can't see but you can feel it. That's trust. That's faith. But here's the thing. He's saying, let's go back to what it said in verse 23. You have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done and not leave the other undone. You see what he's saying right here? He's saying Pharisees, and I think this is the key to this chapter. He brings out a lot of other things that they did, and including they, verse 13 is a bad one. They kept people out of heaven, basically, because they were living in this false religion and kept people from Jesus Christ uh, by saying that he was a liar and everything else. But Jesus is saying, hey, the biggest parts of the law, the key of the law is judgment, mercy, and faith. And he said, this is what you needed to have focused on instead of going into your herb garden and plucking out every 10th leaf. And then it makes me wonder, are we doing the same thing? Right? Jesus said, this is the important part. Any one of us can fall into the trap of the scribes and the Pharisees. How do we do that? When we put more emphasis on rules, when we put more emphasis on different things that God didn't emphasize, and we miss Judgment, mercy, faith. You know what this world needs? They need the formula. Amen. Judgment, because they don't think they're ever going to stand before God. And once they, once they hear about sin and hell and everything else, what do they need? They need mercy right after that. Amen. Tell them, but hey, you're headed to hell, but guess what? You don't have to go because of Jesus Christ. Tell them about mercy. And then how do you get the mercy? Not through rituals. Not through baptism, not through anything else, but faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Right? That's what he's saying right here. That's the weightier matters. So here's the thing. I said it at the very beginning. We, uh, now again, uh, for every baby that's saved uh, because uh, abortion is overturned in some of the different states, uh, now that it's a state issue, uh, uh, we're going to have more people, and especially in this state, it's going to take a while, but we're going to have more that we need to reach. But guess what? There are people alive right now that are sinners that need to hear the gospel. Amen. What do they need to hear? Judgment, mercy, and faith. And that's what we need to give them today. Jesus Christ. And if you remember those three words, it's easy to say something around each one. They don't need a long presentation. They don't need an hour-long thing about the gospel. They don't need you to recite a million scriptures. You just need to say those three things. Listen, you will stand before Jesus Christ in judgment. Everyone will. And if you're not, and if you're still in your sins, it means you're going to hell. But then there's mercy of Jesus Christ. What was the mercy? He came to save sinners. Yeah. And Paul said he was the chief. I feel like the chief some days. Yeah. And then guess what? We can call on his name. By what? By faith. Amen. That's it right there. Jesus boiled it down to three words. I hope we never forget those three words. Yeah. And we keep it in us. And then when, because the devil, he'll try to scare you and say, you can't witness to them. What if you don't have all the answers? Hey, guess what? We don't have all the answers. It's okay. God's bigger than we are. His book is bigger than we are. We'll never have all the answers. But guess what? He spends a whole lot of time talking about what Jesus did and who we are 
and what our future holds. And that's what we need to tell them. We talked about in Sunday school, they wanted to stop teaching in the name of Jesus. And they said, we can only do, we can only say what we've seen and heard. That's what this world needs. What's, what's your story? What's Jesus done for you? They need to hear it. I'm going to ask everyone to stand this morning.